So you know, no matter who you are or where you grew up, there's always something special about your own hometown, right? I mean, I know I feel that way about mine, and uh, I bet there's something special about your hometown too, because you know, it's the place where you grew up. It's the place where you went through your first years in school, uh, where you made your first friends. Uh, It's a place where you likely got introduced to the church. Uh, And it's the place you're kind of always itching to go back to around Christmas time. And one of the main reasons for that is because home is where we develop our first sense of loyalty and of community. And those are some of the fundamental concepts that we're going to be looking at today in uh, this week's Psalm. And if you're joining us for the first time, we're doing an expository look through the book of Psalms. We started out at one and we're up to 48, uh, but 48 as it lays out for us uh, that same kind of feeling of permanence and uh, of family and of civic pride that our Lord wants us to feel in our ultimate home, uh, our eternal home, the one that we, his people, are continuing to long for, even though we've never seen it. So if you're following along in your Bibles, and I encourage you to do that, we are in Psalm 48 which is superscribed, a psalm of the sons of Korah. And the psalmist writes, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarsish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts. In the city of our God, which God will establish forever. Selah. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Amen. You know, throughout uh, Scripture, when it speaks of the city of God, we find two kind of interchangeable names being used, either Jerusalem or Zion, And, you know, a lot of times when the Scripture uses the word Zion, it's really intended to refer generally to the physical location, that place that's situated on the Judean plain about 2,500 feet above sea level, about 37 miles west of the Mediterranean Sea, 22 miles east of the Dead Sea, to that city that has some 4,000 years of history making it actually one of the oldest continually inhabited places on earth. Uh, this actually first mentioned in Scripture to us, uh, coming from Second Samuel chapter 5. Uh, this says, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. 
And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here. And nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, and David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. Now we read Jerusalem there too, because on the other hand, the name Jerusalem expresses everything that's holy and spiritual about the site. Remember, it's the place of Abraham's planned sacrifice of Isaac. It's the location of the temple. It's the seat of the Sanhedrin. And that's why the expression going up to Jerusalem came about. It's not just the actual height of the plateau, which is considerable, but it's the loftiness and the sacredness of the city itself because God's presence is there. And, you know, I think the way those names and ideas are used interchangeably and, uh, and synonymously is a clear message that we can't have a Zion without Jerusalem, and we can't have Jerusalem without Zion. So in other words, this eternal capital has to be a place of material and spiritual needs that go hand in hand. And so this idea uh, of this very real, very sacred place represents our longing for all of our hometowns and for our attachment uh, to them and this sense of community that they engender. And, you know, in that way, it's really the beauty of Jerusalem that makes such a perfect picture of the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ and of our place in it. As individual members of the family of God that we have been called to belong to. Did you ever think about that? You know, that's actually what the word... Uh, what the word church means. That particular word church there translated uh, as ecclesia is really two words put together. Uh, ek meaning out, out of or away from and ecclesia uh, means to be called. So as a church, you and I together are the assembly of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior who are called out from among the towns and the cities and the countries of this world no matter how attached we are to them, to a more permanent dwelling that Psalm 48 today calls the city of our God, that's the joy of all the earth. And, you know, I think that's a beautiful description of Christ's spiritual house of the church. And, you know, that's not just my idea. The Apostle Paul actually said the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, he or 18, rather, he writes, for through him, meaning Jesus, We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And now you, you probably have, have heard it said that the church is not a building, but it's the people who come to worship in it, right? And, and that, that's, that's partially true because the church is not a, a physical building, but it is a building. It's a spiritual building, a holy temple built by Christ as a place for him to indwell And, you know, like any building, although it's made up of individual parts, those parts have to actually connect together to form a structure, right? You can't have a building unless it's assembled. Like uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 
He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. But you know, the only trouble is that kind of you know, thinking has really fallen by the wayside in the last couple of decades or so. You know, because anymore people don't seem to see any need to actually join a church. Until now, we're at a place where really one of the most countercultural things you can do is to become an engaged and active member of the church of Jesus Christ in a local congregation. You know, because our, our, our transient and noncommittal age, uh, in it, there's not too many folks that are inclined to, to put down roots and make long-standing commitments. You know, we, we always want to keep our options open, right? We want to preserve our autonomy and keep our independence and, and come and go at will rather than making a commitment for the long haul and embrace a framework for a real covenantal life together like we have here with all of its ups and downs. And now I know somebody may say to me, well, pastor, does the Bible even mention church membership anywhere? Uh, Can you show me where it is in the New Testament? Uh, Can you tell me, is it really essential to join a local body? Uh, Because, well, I can read the Bible and pray on my own at home, right? Uh, And and anyway, even if I do come out to public worship, can't can't I just get everything I need by being a regular attender without the actual hassle of joining, right? And and it's true, the New Testament doesn't make a direct argument for our modern concept of uh, membership. But you know, whether you call it membership or, or partnership or something else, the New Testament assumes some form of committed, accountable belonging as a reality for every true believer in Jesus Christ and pictures each Christian with a definite place uh, of belonging in it, in a local congregation. And I have just a quick little illustration for you. I shared this before in Sunday school, but I kind of like this one. Um, Some of you that know me know your pastor is a little bit of a firebug bordering on pyromania who, who can't resist the opportunity to start a good fire safely, safely, so, but we have a lot of campfires at home and, and fire pits and uh, they really are a lot, if you think about it, like a committed resident of the holy city of God because being a part of a congregation is like being in a campfire. You know, in a campfire, you've got all these red hot coals all glowing together. But if you take one of those coals and set it far apart from the other ones, what happens? It cools down, yeah, it cools down. In a matter of minutes, the fire goes out, it goes dark. But, but if you take that same coal that's lost its fire and you put it back in the flames with the other ones, what happens? It gets hot all over again, right? See, that's the power of our combined and committed fellowship in Jesus Christ, especially these days when, uh, you know, you don't have to go to church to watch a worship service, right? You can just stay at home and see one online, you can stay in your PJs, you can eat a late breakfast, uh, and that's okay if you have some physical barrier to coming out to public worship, but the Bible makes it clear in Hebrews chapter 10 when it admonishes, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the days of his return are drawing near. And so in the very, very brief time I have left before we go to the Lord's table, I want to give you just a few concrete reasons drawn uh, from today's psalm as to why you should be a member of a local church if you aren't already. 
Uh, and the first, it really is for your own assurance in the faith. You know, we read in verse 3 this morning, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. And if you think about that, what is a fortress but a place where you can relax and be sure that you're safe? And in the same way, being accepted into church membership in a Bible-believing, responsibly-led church reinforces the confidence that your faith is real, that it's not just your own private uh, self-made religion, but it's a part of the faith once delivered to all the saints. And, and just parathetically, I would say, because uh, we have a lot of folks that listen online and on the Internet, um, if you're not sure about the fellowship that you're currently a part of, if your church abandons the Bible, you must abandon it, right? If your church isn't committed to the Bible, uh, you don't have a commitment to that church, right? Be like Bob, right? See Bob's church abandon the Bible. See Bob run, run, Bob, run, right? Run to a committed Bible-believing fellowship so that you can be sure that your profession of Jesus Christ is credible and that your lifestyle and your conduct line up with the clear historic teachings of the Hurley Scriptures and not some aberrant interpretation that might lead you into spiritual error and confusion. Now, another reason to be part of a local body is for the good of others. Right? We read this morning, uh, walk around Zion, go around her, number her towers, <clears throat> consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation. And, you know, this might be one of the most overlooked reasons for joining a church. But it's important to at least consider how our membership relates to reaching others, not just in this generation, but in the next. Because unless you're personally committed to and capable of ministering to and discipling every person you witness to for the rest of their natural lives, then belonging somewhere in a solid Christ-centered church establishes a base for you to do that from. Uh, and to do it collaboratively through the people and the resources that we have here as a gathered fellowship of believers who, who collectively have all the fruits of the Spirit to serve you and to serve the people that you invite to join us and to serve Christ with us. Which leads very naturally into the next reason to join a local church, and that is for the good of evangelizing unbelievers. That's why we read this morning, For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took flight. Trembling, they took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. And you know, if you look around, there are a lot of people like that who kind of live their lives like they're kings, don't they? They're on top of the world. They, uh, they're masters of their own lives and of their own destinies. And You know, some people can pull that off for a really long time until some tragedy comes crashing into their path and knocks them for a loop and shakes their worldview. But, you know, the truth is that happens oftentimes that God will allow that and those sorts of things to come into people's lives so that we can reach out to them and show them the same kind of love that the Lord has shown to us. Especially those folks that don't yet know Jesus because it gives us an opportunity to love them. Just like John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
And, and you know, Lone Ranger Christian types don't always make the best witnesses of that kind of love. Now, there's exceptions, of course, but especially in this post-Christian society that we're living in, where believers find ourselves more and more in the minority of society than ever before, I think it's important for them to see that the church at large is not dead and that you and I are not alone in our, our seemingly strange views, like our views on the holiness of Christian marriage and the sanctity of life and the infallibility of the scriptures and our commitment to be followers of Christ as the way, the way, the truth, and the life. And this whole community together serves to put that on display better than just an individual Christian alone. Because together, through our long-standing life-together relationships uh, in this time-tested arrangement called the local church, a church established and upheld by the wisdom and power of Jesus himself, we really stand for something. And we can shine as a light for others to follow as we're going forward to live for Jesus until he brings us to that city of the Lord of hosts, which God will establish forever. So, you know, no matter what your, your secular job is, no matter how you're spending your retirement, we need to make the commitment to Christ's kingdom and to a local church, uh, not to turn Christianity into a religion that focuses on gathering in a building on Sunday, or doing certain things in a certain way, or success being measured by uh, how many people we gather in one room to fill up the seats, but rather by truly worshiping our God, who Psalm 48 says is greatly to be praised. Uh, you know, and, and nobody wants this fellowship to continue to grow uh, numerically and financially more than I do, but if all we consider is just filling seats to be the extent of our evangelism, then we are, as one writer said, not a church, but a social club intrigued by religion. And I don't want that to be us. Because if we want to be the Lord's church, we have to be about the Lord's business. We've got to be committed uh, imitators of Christ. And it only makes sense if we're going to do that, we need to do the things that he did. We need to talk about the things that he talked about. Uh, and, and we need to concentrate on the things that he concentrated on. Because when it comes to serving the Lord, it's all or nothing. It's total commitment. We are either His or we aren't. We're either looking ahead to Christ's eternal city or we're looking behind at the temporary things of this world. Or, or worse yet, we look around at what we think is wrong with everyone else instead of realizing what's wrong with me. Right? One author said instead of focusing on... Uh, Everything that's not right at church, we need to, as individuals, focus on being the right kind of Christians and making allowances for one another in love and not being blown off course by fleeting concerns like we read about in Psalm 48 today by the, uh, the east wind that shattered the ships of Tarsish, meaning that we can't be blown off course by all of the back and forth of always having to have things our own way or be knocked around by the wind of worldly pursuits like wealth and pleasure like the people of Tarshish were, but be committed to stay on task and to complete the mission that we've been given without becoming distracted or, or sidetracked by minor problems or personality conflicts. And I, I shared this little poem with you guys, I think it was a, maybe two years ago, but I love it. It's called Ten Little Christians, and I'm going to share it with you again. You may remember it, but it's worth repeating. 
it goes 10 little Christians standing in a line. One disliked the preacher and then there were nine. Nine little Christians stayed up very late. One slept in on Sunday and then there were eight. Eight little Christians on their way to heaven. But one took a different road and then there were seven. Seven little Christians chirping like some chicks, but one disliked the song leader, and then there were six. Sorry, John. <laughs> six little Christians seemed very much alive, but one lost his way, and then there were five. Five little Christians pulling for heaven shore, but one turned back, and then there were four. Four little Christians busy as a bee, but one got her feelings hurt, and then there were three. Three little Christians knew not what to do. One couldn't forgive the other and then there were two two little christians our rhyme is nearly done quarreled over petty issues and then there was only one one little christian can't do much to his true but he, he brought a friend to bible study and then there were two two earnest christians each one one more and that doubled the number and then there were four four sincere christians worked early and they worked late and they loved one another and then there were eight Eight loving Christians, if they doubled as before, in just a few short weeks would be 1,024. And I'm so glad that that's the kind of thing that we see happening in this church, where we have a genuine family of people who genuinely love the Lord and who genuinely love one another. Amen. Right? But, no, we, but we can't ever rest on our laurels. We have it now, but we can't start to coast. We need to be constantly relying on the Holy Spirit to turn up the heat on our prayer life. And to stoke the coals of our commitment. Uh, and to keep this campfire burning, right? So, so our challenge for you and I today is to begin praying that God will give us a renewed hunger for himself. Uh, and for his heavenly city. That one where he's promised that he will guide us to forever. And give us the grace to help us see him more passionately. Uh, and in the words of Hebrew 11, to be looking forward to that city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And you know, that's really where Psalm 48 ends today with God. Because the final verse says that this is God, our God, forever and ever. Because, you know, in the last line, the, even the glory of the holy city fades from view along with all of our human attachments and, and worldly affections. And we just see God alone. The same God that built and, and beautified Jerusalem. The same God who is the hope of Zion and the glory of the church is our God forever and ever in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and his righteousness reigning at God's right hand and ready and willing to meet you and I individually at his table today. Will you pray with me?